This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A2 is software for usability testing and user experience research, enabling you to test quickly and often, letting you solve real design issues. By PowerMapper. Mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By OptimalSort. With an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, OptimalSort can help you run successful card sorts better than you ever thought possible. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. In this conversation, Leah Bewley from Adaptopath shares some of the lightweight techniques that she and her team use to explore a variety of solutions quickly. We talk about the video biography she took of her team members at Adaptive Path, illustrating how everyone in the corporation started out from humble beginnings, with some of her colleagues entering the organization from fields that had little to do with what we think about today as traditional UX backgrounds, and the value found therein. Leah outlines five tips that she presented to attendees at the conference about how those involved in user experience projects can better engage those within the business about the value of such work. Thank you to Leah for sitting down with me at the conference, and I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. At UX Week, we had the pleasure of hearing uh, Leah Bewley uh, do a continuation, actually, from the IA Summit, uh, from her uh, talk around uh, being a user experience team of one. And um, you were talking at the beginning of your presentation, Leah, about uh, a state of mind and the team of one brain. Uh, can you talk to our listeners a little bit what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, well, I think some of the feedback that I heard at the IA Summit was, oh, I heard your, your talk was really interesting. I didn't think that it was relevant for me because I work in a big organization or because I've got colleagues or whatever. Right. I think in the end, what I tried to talk about in my presentation was kind of techniques for helping us work more effectively with people who don't necessarily understand user experience. And I think that's a, a challenge that's relevant for all of us. And, and I think in order to kind of understand why that's relevant, it's important to tap into that part of ourselves that remembers what it was like before we knew what user experience was. Like it's, it's, it's a funny field that we're in in that it has a bit of a feeling of a calling to it or like a religion. Like we're in it because we actually care about the cause and not just because it's a kind of a good job, although it's a good job too. Sure. Um, but, but I think the thing that I see when I, pe when I meet people who've been doing this for a long time, who are really successful and who really impress me is that they have sort of passion and devotion to the idea that we're helping people and that we're educating the world that technology and systems and processes don't have to be sort of dehumanizing. But I think when we get so comfortable with the processes that we have and the way that we've been doing things, we can sort of forget that every single day we still have a challenge of educating the rest of the world about what that about what user experience is. And so tapping into the team of one sort of part of your brain is about remembering that that you sort of get it, but not everyone else does yet, yep. and that you have a responsibility to spread the word. So that's why I um, I started with that, and I. Yeah, I don't know. It's something I, I believe pretty strongly. You actually uh, took a unique approach in terms of illustrating, you know, um, how you came across this research. And you actually uh, video did short videos, introductions of everyone at Adaptive Path, from from Peter Peter Merholtz, the president of Adaptive Path, right on down to the intern Phil. Yes, is correct. that right? Phil. Okay, and sort of illustrating some of the some of the key points um, to help people to appreciate. Um, some of the more humble beginnings, I think, is how you put it in your presentation. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you did there and why? My process for this was was pretty DIY. I basically sent out an email to everybody at Adaptive Path and invited them to star in my 
video montage without actually sort of telling them what it was going to be about. And um, I just took the first people who volunteered, which uh, Peter was the first. Peter Merholtz is always the first to volunteer for anything involving camera time, um, but uh, he's he's great for that. So um, so people just basically who were willing to sit in front of my eyesight camera and let me ask them questions without really understanding where it was going. And so that was the basic process. And then just using you know my Mac and you know microphone and uh, the eyesight camera, I I then uh, sort of put these two questions to them. The first one was. Can you remember the first point in your career when you discovered what user experience was? And the second question was, what's the thing that really gets you hot right now about what's happening in user experience? And the reason that I was interested in both those questions, I think one is that it's, it's really interesting and important to understand that we all come at this from, from humble origins, as I said, you know, no matter kind of how successful we are in the field. And I think that that's an important thing because I don't know, before I joined Adaptive Path, in my own mind, all the, those people who are now my colleagues were total superstars. And I felt like right. what they do, I couldn't understand what it was. I could never achieve it. I only could appreciate that there were sort of pearls of wisdom that they passed out um, from time to time. And the great gift and benefit in my life right now is that since I've been able to join Adaptive Path, I can see that they're all just people working on problems. Like I was a person working on a problem before I came there. And, and that it's not like some people just have the gift and some people don't. It's like we're all really just struggling away. So I wanted the message that, you know, Peter started out as an intern and that Kate worked in a special library. Like I think those <laughs> things are really important things for us all to hear yeah. to recognize that wherever we came from, we're in it and we're legitimate and, and you know, we are all sort of working on the same problem. Yeah. And then the other sort of half of that, the second question was, was um, what's exciting to you now? And I think that's so important because because it's easy just to get complacent with the tools that you already have or the techniques that you know. And I think one of the things that's sort of most essential for being good at what you do is continuing to be excited about the ideas. And so I wanted to just share some of the things that are exciting Adaptive Path right now with the rest of the conference. So one of the videos that you had actually um, shown, um, one that really sort of caught the attention of yourself, and I think a lot of people that's from your presentation, was uh, Pam Doglian's uh, comment about how um, she looks at user experience and, and her role as the and the people in her team at Adaptive Path as people in her care, mm -hmm. um, bringing back this component of emotion, really, that the web has not really had a lot of focus on. But over the last couple of years, I've been hearing more and more about trying to bring emotion back to the web, or sort of the human element to the technology. Um, so maybe you could talk to our listeners a little bit about, about that in terms of why you, why you included that and how that relates to your overall presentation. I included it partially because I think Pam spoke most eloquently about the people in her care in a way that, ironically, some of the user experience people that I was interviewing sort sure. of didn't. I mean, I think we all understand that that people are a common, well, they're the common thread that kind of, you know, sort of com that um, brings us all together in terms yeah. of the work that we do. Yeah, they're but the I, foundation of yeah, everything, right? Ex exactly, yeah. exactly. But I, but I think somebody who like Pam, who's actually been working in the service industry a lot and who's done a lot of um, sort of thinking from a marketing and a writing perspective, has a different take on it than maybe you and I would if we spend a lot of time in an application thinking about like reducing the number of clicks or how to create sort of more efficiency or something. I mean, I think being really in situations where you're standing face to face with somebody who's angry or happy because of some experience that you've provided helps you to understand that the, the sort of little things that you do and the choices that you make actually really materially impacts the experience of somebody. And that was inspiring to me when I was talking to her because whether we're there or not in yep. person, when somebody's using our software or our you know, electronic devices or the things that we design, 
ultimately they they have that same joy or you know annoyance or discomfort and and we're responsible for that so sure. they're in our care just as much as you know you're in the care of somebody who's serving you a delicious meal or who's helping you understand how to use some service you've never used before yeah. so pam was super inspiring in that way and yeah. she's She's um, just articulate and amazing in, in life. She's an amazing person. But yeah, she, I thought she would be, um, I thought her message would be useful for the people at UX Week too. So. Yeah. It's interesting at MX, uh, you, you guys were kind enough to hand out your new book, Subject to Change, um, that uh, Brandon and, uh, and other members of your team yeah. wrote. And uh, the one part of that that I really liked was this concept that you shared around an idea lab and mm. how you bring everybody in from your company, regardless of title or regardless of role, and, and help you solve design problems. Yeah. And I thought, you know, exactly. like. Who's the executive assistant can actually be more insightful yeah. to solve problems because they don't—they aren't in our mindset. As an, uh, on myself, I'm an information architect or a user experience professional. We get sort of locked into the way we do things, and by incorporating other people's ideas that have very different experiences, like Pam's, right? In terms of her background, we can actually create much better solutions, simpler solutions yeah. that make it easy for people to interact with things. So yeah. I th anyway, I just I thought that was you know tied into exactly what you were talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, I totally agree. Idea. I mean, I think the challenge when you're when you're sort of working on any problem is that you get so deep into it that you can't um, sort of see it from fresh eyes or beginner's eyes yeah. anymore. And so, bringing in people, whether they're a designer or not a designer, just simply somebody who has a different perspective can be really illuminating. The day that I spoke about um, being in a user experience team one at uh, UX Week, I also did a workshop with Brandon Shower on. Good Design Faster, and okay. this workshop, we focused mainly on sketching techniques and how to use sketchboards to kind of facilitate a conversation with stakeholders and anybody else who needs to be involved in the design process. But okay. one of the cool parts of the workshop was after uh, the team of people sort of worked for a long time on putting together this sort of elaborate vision for what a solution to a problem could look like, then um, they had to sort of swap one person from their team with another team, and then this completely fresh set of eyes that had not been involved in this, sort of all the discussions that created this solution came in and got to give their feedback. And you just nice. you realize like even just things that start to seem really really intuitive to you as a group because you've been sort of mulling through all these ideas can still be very fuzzy or abstract to somebody when they're sort of they haven't had the benefit of that conversation. So just just bringing in somebody from the outside can, I think, help you see as though you have fresh eyes too. Yeah, exactly. And part of this, you shared some of your experiences as well in terms of trying to look at this with fresh eyes in terms of mm -hmm. your own past around. I used to, you know, get into a team. Used to, you know, used to do all these, you know, really intense, uh, really rich internet application type of wireframes, yeah. details, and and you turn around, you blame the developers, and then you blame the requirements. <laughs> it's sit there and go, I know best, and what the hell. And I think yeah. we all get we get caught into that trap, right? We have a hard time seeing things. You know, I, I mean, to really geek out here, I, you know, the quote from the Lord of the Rings, you know, we can never, pe <laughs> well, we can never see past the choices we don't understand, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so, you know, when we're working with other people, and yes, I watched it a couple of times, so, you know, <laughs> um, but the point is, is that I think it's a relevant quote, and the idea is important and speaks to your idea, right? We, the user experience professional sometimes can't see past the interaction designer, who can't see past mm -hmm. the business executive, who can't see past the user requirements, and on and on and yeah. on it goes. We spend 30 days just fighting over who's more right in terms of their perspective, which I'd, I've never seen anything develop very well through that process, right? And then, you know, and the quote you used was, I'm best because I'm looking out for the user's needs. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how that is sort of like, it's a myth, yeah. really. And, and so why, why do you think that? Why, why is that a myth? Oh, you're asking all the hard questions <laughs> today. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's a myth because it's virtuous to look out for the user's needs, but mm, okay. um, the things that make us 
successful in in kind of creating a product that can live and have a and have you know a life beyond the first couple of months is understanding that user needs sits within the larger context of business needs and what's viable economically and and that's just that's complex. Actually, you know, Don Norman, um, who was on the stage before I was, said this very well, which is he he said when he first uh, joined Apple, I think he was he was talking to some kind of VP and and he they set up time to have a conversation about um, what he was really interested in and and kind of the user experience stuff. And this VP sat there and listened and they had a really wonderful conversation. And and at the end of it, he said, thank you, this was really interesting and I'd like to have, you know, I'd like to further this conversation. Let's set up another time. But now I have some real work to do. Because it sounds great when you talk about it, but if you can't substantiate that it's viable from a business perspective, then then people who look at spreadsheets every month are simply just not going to sort of see it as an no. opportunity. And the truth of the matter is user experience, good user experience, actually does materially impact the bottom line. But but if you're if you're just sort of coming in as the nudge talking about like, but the user needs this, but the user needs that, then then it can be very hard for people to see that it can impact the bottom line. Yeah. And I guess I'd also say, even though we in the profession see the relationship between the kind of deliverables that we produce and the process that we follow and how it, in theory, should bring us to a closer uh, sort of vision of a product that satisfies what users want, mm -hmm. that's a really hard connection for people to make if they oh, don't yeah. understand like how a sitemap ultimately leads to satisfying persona B's need to you know get offline quickly so mm -hmm. she can go spend time with her kids. And, sure. and I think... Unfortunately, for whatever reason, the type of personality that gets drawn into our field loves to cra to craft these really sort of detailed, structured, sort of diagrammatic kind of pictures of systems that we see in our heads, and um, that's lovely. But it doesn't actually necessarily serve us very well in showing how that's going to to um, satisfy the goal of creating a product that people will want to use. And so, I think on some level. We're at a point right now where we just really need to focus on skills that um, that help us be more successful in organizations and in sort of building support for the work that we're doing, and 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 focus less on crafting these sort of beautiful, much loved artifacts that um, that sort of wither when nobody looks at them all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, I we I think we all struggle with that. Like you know, talking with uh, people about you know spending hour long meetings about what color red the button should be on the yeah. page. It's sort of like, yeah. Oh, Hey, but you know it, that the color isn't important. Jerry McGaffey uh, talked about that one time and said, you know, if you take all the words off the page, how useful is a website, mm. right? So yeah. the structure of the site, these other things, in terms of looking at the larger user experience picture, is really important. And yeah. um, you'd also notice about you also noted, excuse me, about how the tools won't change that much over time. It's really more interested in the process that gets us to the point of great user experience. And you noted sort of five tips actually about how we could go about creating that great user experience. And the first one was to get comfortable with a pen and paper, which I loved. I'm like, oh, thank God, because if I have to pick up Photoshop one more time, I think I'm going to scream. Because, you know, I can I can reproduce Van Gogh's and Monet's with yeah, a paintbrush, yeah. but I can't, I can't, you know, do that very well. Yeah. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your experiences with that and yeah. why that's important. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you actually, you kind of, you alluded right to it a moment ago when um, we were talking about these kind of, these really detailed documents and then people, you know, arguing for hours about what color the, the button should be. I think that the reality is when you've got these um, really high fidelity digital artifacts, it focuses the conversation immediately on all the sort of small details. And I think 
that's lovely. There's, that's, there's a point in the process for that, but uh, only once you've gotten past the big conversations about what the larger sort of vision for the thing is and how it works from a sort of flow perspective and whether we have all the sort of um, sort of pieces and parts in place to actually create a holistic kind of system. So I think pen and paper is, is um, for me, it's really important just because I do tend to be too detail oriented and I sort of, I love, I love the opportunity to put my headphones on and then just dive deep into details in Visio or in Photoshop for hours and hours. But by, um, by using something that inherently is a low fidelity tool, it forces me to keep my ideas at a really kind of high level um, and, and, and sort of keep them around like communicating sort of big picture vision with the people that I'm working with. There's something about the form of it that actually suggests to other people who, who you're talking to that, that it's not complete yet, that the ideas are still very much sort of open for discussion and that it's, a, it's an evolving thing. And I think that ultimately makes them a really good facilitation tool because if you, if you sort of show, and I mean, in my, everyone talks about this, but I've, you really see it and you experience it, that if you show this sort of digital wireframe to somebody, this printed and sort of lovingly crafted thing, um, the feedback you get is like, that label is not the right label, or this looks pretty good, but I hope the intro copy will be like, you know, this instead of like that. And that's just not, um, that's not the kind of feedback that will help you understand whether you have the right foundation in place, whether there are sort of big conceptual pieces that are missing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's keeping things really sort of in ink on paper that helps, or, you know, with pen on paper that helps people to, um, to feel sort of emboldened to, to give that kind of input at that point in the process. So it's, I think it's more important than anything. It's helpful for facilitating conversations, actually. Yeah, and, and the other one is it sort of speaks to that very premise that you just described. It's about thinking, you know, think big picture. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been talking about deliverables this whole conversation, and I guess this is like my anti-deliverable message, and, and it's hard for me because I love deliverables. But um, but yeah, I think the, the idea of thinking big picture is that um, is that rather than kind of creating these these sort of great documents that you can kind of collate and hand out a copy to everybody and then everybody has a record of all the decisions that have been made. Yep. Um, we should be getting big, big things onto the walls that actually allow us physically to start to have conversations face to face about the things that we want to make. I think everyone loves whiteboards. Everyone's really good with like the whiteboard and sure. that sort of part of the conversation where you let's like sit down with you know your colleagues and think this idea out. But Whiteboards get erased, and I'm really interested right now in thinking of taking like big pieces of poster paper or you know butcher paper or just like really big physical um, tools to, to sort of put them up on the wall to get everyone around and to start sort of drawing pictures together. And, right. and I think that uh, ultimately makes it really easy to have a conversation about visual concepts even with people who don't necessarily have the sort of visual training. We actually saw that idea, uh, pardon the pun, illustrated. Here at uh, UX Week uh, with the with the big uh, sort of drawing boards that were sitting outside the main conference hall, yeah. uh, with the markers that were strung up where people could literally draw anything they wanted, you know, yeah. write anything they want. And what was interesting about that was that you know it became a, a conversation piece for people, yeah. right? They started commenting on the different drawings, and that got people engaged. And and uh, you know the idea of thinking big in that regard allows people to you know engage more and because you know it's tough you come to a conference you don't know anybody how do you engage yeah. other people it's it's a unique way of engaging and just like within a business if you thought big like that you get more people engaged and maybe come up with some different ideas and and think about things and and we're still very tactile right our, yeah. you know the generations you know our parents generation are so tactile and we are that you know use still using that pen and paper is still a way of, of really effectively communicating ideas right yeah yeah i mean i uh, to refer back again to the the workshop that we that brandon and i did we um 
so you know it's it's actually a lot about kind of thinking big picture and getting you know sketches onto big pieces of paper and what was interesting was we were in a space that was actually kind of physically constrained for the workshop so some people took their big pieces of paper onto the floor and onto the wall and some of them kept them on top of the kind of smallish round tables that they were sitting at and the people who were on the floor or by the wall actually the the the, the stuff that they were sketching looked more voluminous it looked more kind of exploratory and they were doing sort of more um, kind of playful sort of modeling with the stuff that they had been drawing which um, then the people who were standing around these little small constrained kind of tables and so I, what was what it suggested to me is that the actual sort of physicality of having a conversation where you can sort of move and you can express your your um, your sort of body language and you can I don't know, just do sort of be more gestural actually changes the way the conversation ends up going and encourages yeah. people to be sort of less formal in the way that they talk about things and to be more honest about their feedback. And it's, it feels sort of slightly off topic for our field, and yet it is so relevant. Like if there are ways that you can get, you know, the VP who's, who's reviewing your wireframes to actually, you know, pick up a pen and start drawing, you sure. know, an alternate vision of that, that's, that's a pretty sort of a different new sort of way of approaching the work than what we've been doing up until now. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting to me. Exciting. Yeah, no, it is very, very good. Yeah. Um, the third point from the top five tips you were talking about was the idea of um, being a good host when yeah. you're looking at being a UX designer, a uh, team of one sort of thing. So, what I mean, I, I, I mean, I could probably imply what I think that means, but <laughs> but maybe you could chat a little bit about Serve what cocktails. you think. Yeah, yeah well, right. alcohol's good. Well, yeah, yeah no, always. absolutely, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and good snack food, of yeah. course. Oh, of essential. course, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, we actually, you, we talked about it a little bit already, which is the, the idea of these kind of open design sessions where you invite everybody in, whether they're a designer or not, right. to participate in the brainstorming process. And um, what I've seen is that everybody who's involved in the making of a product actually has pretty specific ideas about what they want that product to be. And those ideas, whether they're expressed or not, will ultimately impact the outcome of the thing. I, um, at the IA Summit, I was talking to somebody who was saying that she was frustrated because she designed some part of a system and she really liked this design and there was a product manager who sort of wasn't really kind of bought into this part of the design. But right. um, when they kept having conversations, it would sort of stay in because she would kind of argue well and, and it would, you know, it sort of would stay in. Yeah. But by the end, um, when it was time to go implement it, I think one of the developers said it was like too, you know, this too much scope or something. Okay. And the product manager was, you know, was like, fine. I, I never really was sold on it anyway. And the reality is, what a waste of time for this yeah. practitioner to be keeping this thing in and to be sort of refining it and 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 honestly for it to be affecting the things sort of that lived around it in the application when ultimately somebody was totally happy to kind of cross the line, you know, or to cross that out. If you're a good host and you have workshops and structured conversation time and you invite everybody who's a stakeholder into the process mm -hmm. to come in and sort of share what they think, then ultimately you're going to waste less time in the kind of designing of what you, or in your work, basically, at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that actually kind of leads from sort of the, the structured time to talk about things to the fourth point, which is sort of an unstructured time to talk about things, which is to decorate your space. So you put stuff up as you're working on it around where you're working, Yeah. Um, which I thought was I mean, all these ideas are great because they're simple and they work, yeah. right? In terms of communicating the idea, so maybe maybe share some of your experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, so decorating your space is, in my view, it's about 
Well, to be honest, it's about putting up your ideas even when they're not fully finished. Uh, so uh, not just decorating your space with beautiful things that you've already completed, but actually like having your half-baked ideas up on the wall above your computer while you're working on them so that right. when people walk by, they can see um, the half-baked idea. And the, the benefit of that, well, there's two benefits. I think one is that um, it gives people an opportunity to give feedback as the sort of work is is coming together. And, and honestly, like, <laughs> feedback at that point never really hurts. It only helps in my experience. And if you can get it earlier rather than later, it means you don't have to kind of go back and, um, you know, revise 50 wireframes. It means you're, you know, you've done three and now you have the sort of the opportunity to incorporate that thinking into what you do going forward. Um, but the other benefit is that it, it exposes your process kind of to other mm -hmm. people. I've, I have a friend at Adaptive Path and we've been talking a lot lately about um, a challenge in the work that we do, which is that we get clients who sort of expect the magic to just kind of happen. And when you say, okay, let's, when you say to a client, all right, now we're going to have a brainstorming session. We're going to think about these things together. Sometimes you, what you'll hear is, I, I thought that's what you guys did. Why are you asking us to design this thing for you? And right. that, um, that question comes out of a misconception about what design actually is and, and, and of a misconception about how the design process actually works. Because you can't possibly have achieved um, a vision for a design that actually solves business problems and user problems and has a really sort of tangible and meaningful kind of feeling, like in terms of user experience, without actually going through the process of, of, of thinking about all the ideas that everybody has and exploring which ones are viable and which ones aren't viable and sort of bringing it back together and then refining those ideas. Um, and so by simply showing your brainstorms as they're happening and showing your kind of half-crafted ideas as they're coming together, it helps everyone that you work with understand that the process is this really iterative thing and it takes time and it takes you it takes them sharing their ideas and you working those ideas back in. So I, I think ultimately when people really understand the process a little better, it makes them more supportive of the process. And so that's why I reckon, recommend that. Yeah. And it takes, but it also, I think it's also real important to acknowledge that it, it can take a little bit of courage to do that as well, right? Because yeah. you're, opening, you're opening up your ideas and whatnot to that. So, so it's an important thing to do, but it's also important to recognize that not everyone's going to agree with what you're saying or your yeah. approaches and everything else. And it's important to be open to the process and take, like you were saying, right? Take that feedback in as, as constructive criticism and, yeah. and, and know who's giving you the feedback as well, right? Yeah. And, and appropriately moving it uh, forward in that regard. Uh, yeah. And I, you're right. It's totally challenging because it's, it's our work and it's, it's really personal, you know, yeah. and it's and it, when somebody disagrees with the ideas, often it feels like they're disagreeing with, you know, you at a, at a very personal level. But um, lately I've gotten kind of interested in the idea that once, that when you identify that friction, when somebody can tell you sort of they don't like something, that's actually the moment that you're on the verge of breaking into really yeah. interesting new ideas and kind of innovation. And, and it feels scary, but like accept it and welcome. This is like the moment where something, something really surprising, even to you, is about to happen. Um, one at the at UX Week, uh, the Neo Futurists, this yep. avant-garde art uh, theater group from Chicago, um, gave a workshop and a really fascinating and entertaining uh, presentation. But um, one of the guys from the Neo Futurists talked about how uh, one of the things that they do is is um, really encourage you when you hit the artistic wall, because that is the moment that you're actually about to do something that you've never done before. And this idea that you can say, okay, the moment that this feels most disappointing or unpleasant or scary or just stuck, that's when something really exciting is about to happen is very freeing. So yeah. uh, lately I've been, I've been experimenting a little bit with, or just practicing using black hat sessions in the work that I do with clients, which okay. is- What's that? The, yeah, it's this idea that you set up this sort of structured 
time, fixed period of time for the next half hour or the next hour when everybody who's in the room gets to um, put on their metaphorical black hat and try to be as negative and sort of poke as many holes as possible into the design okay. as they can. And um, even people who are really supportive of the, pro of the product are encouraged to, to actually articulate the concerns that they have about the design as it's coming along. And, uh, and then, of course, the people who are secretly unsupportive are actually uh, you know, utterly free to share all of the you know, reservations that they've had. Yeah. And, and what's so great is like it, it actually gets all the concerns out on the table as opposed to them being these sort of latent things that you're sort of, sort of subtly arguing about or niggling, you know, like in these like really yeah. these sort of, you know, passive aggressive little ways throughout the whole project. And, then, and then, then you can have a really tangible and directed conversation about how you're going to fix these you know, concerns or how you're going to uh, strengthen what you've got already. So I think I think um, welcoming the awkward moments and welcoming the negative feedback is is actually one of the most powerful things we can do yeah. right now. I agree. I mean, when I got into podcasting a couple of years ago, I mean, I, you wouldn't believe the number of people that told me it was a fad, it was a flash in the pan. What the hell am I doing? I can't make any money from it. Why am I bothering? Really? Oh yeah. That's surprising. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, not well, kind of, <laughs> not really. You know, it's and it sort of speaks to the idea of the lessons that I've learned are, are very similar to yours. It's like I, I try to figure out which way the pack's going, run a hundred yards ahead of it, spin around and run right up the gut in the other direction, and that's how I know when things are going to work. And when everyone's telling me I'm wrong and it's not going to work and it's never going to happen, yeah. that's when I know okay, I'm doing the exact right thing. And it's it's about having faith in your ideas and knowing knowing about the experiences. And knowing that these the user experience process that you're following, yeah. you know ultimately it's going to lead to the right direction. And it's you know if you're patient enough, and like you said, if you're open to criticism, open to criticism, and open mm -hmm. to new ideas, um, as the neo features point out, when you hit the artistic wall, right, you know you're you know you're onto something you're great. On the verge. You're on the verge. Yeah. And it's it's the same idea with uh, well with with the opportunities that Adaptive Path has provided me with podcasting and and just and just being able to interact with all these other people and opening my mind to all these unbelievably you know, brilliant ideas in terms of how to approach problems in a different in ways that I'd never thought of before. So so I totally, from my own experience, I can I totally agree with that and back you up 100%. Amen. Um, there Very you cool. go. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Um, and the fifth point you talked about was the idea of the importance, actually, of, of clarifying user experience goals. So yeah. chat a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, one of the, <laughs> the themes at this conference appears to be design criteria or design tenets or uh, there's another phrase I heard but basically um, a lot of people are coming up with a phrase or a label right now to describe the same thing which is basically articulating stating to yourself what specifically the experience should offer to people who are in you know a website or using a website or a product or whatever and um, the idea of I'll call them design uh, criteria because that's what we call them at adaptive path but the idea of design criteria is it's a small kind of handful of statements like five to seven statements about how a thing should sort of feel or what it should sort of accomplish for a user when they're using a product for a person when they're using a product and right. and it's that's just different from like a function list or like a specification list it's not like user will be able to you know submit email through system it's more like the system or not even the system. Systems don't exist in design criteria. It's more like no. people should be able to feel like they can connect to other people, or right. we should be able to, you know, in, enable a sense of fun or discovery. I mean, things that actually kind of explain or um, suggest of what the feeling of being inside this system will be like. Right. And getting I, back to this concept of emotion again. Yeah, right? like exactly. The actual totally. human feeling of it. Right? Exactly, connecting yeah. to that. Yeah, and I think that. Um, 
sort of saying at the beginning of a project what it is that you want to achieve emotionally with that product is really different from saying this is what we want to achieve from a business perspective. And frankly, it's really different from saying these are the you know tasks or scenarios that this persona should be able to kind of yeah. accomplish. Because people, even if we do really good ethnographic kind of research and we can discover this, the sorts of activities that people should be enabled to do within an application, yep. that just that just lets you get stuff done. That's just yeah. about productivity. That's not actually about having kind of a feeling inside of a service. And and I think about what it feels for me when I'm using Twitter. I mean, that's a, there's, a, there's a tangible feeling of kind of connection and being being related to other people in the world and this sense of, of sort of ephemeral, I don't know, just like point-to-point -point connection. And, and those, are, those are things that are really different from I am able to send a message, and it's you know smaller than a certain number of characters. And so, if you start out at the beginning and you communicate to yourself as a designer that not only will you enable people to send messages to other people, but that it will make them feel connected to each other in this ephemeral way, like mm -hmm. that is a very meaty concept that you can then start to design for and sort of hold on to as a goal. So, I guess the point of you know, point number five, clarify UX goals, is you will never achieve that if you don't actually tell yourself what it is that you want to achieve at the beginning of it. So, so yeah, I think that um, we all need to make design criteria for our projects, basically. Absolutely. Well, I mean, ultimately, as I said to people at this conference and others, we're designing for other people, not other machines. Yeah. Right? So you, you have to incorporate the emotional component of it because, you know, I'm not designing for, I mean, sometimes you're designing for other machines, other databases and whatnot, and, yeah. and that's fine, but ultimately, Fundamentally, you're designing for people to access this information, to use yeah. a system or a service or a product without pulling in that emotional component and having clear defined, clearly defined UX goals, you know, you're never going to go anywhere. You'd be surprised how many people I work on websites with, and when I ask them, you know, what is the purpose of the website, they can't answer the question. Yeah. You know, if you can't answer the question, then how do you know what's going to go in there? Everything, nothing, something in between. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's 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 pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing about how when you don't get that emotional component, how quickly projects and products and services can just go completely out of control. Yeah, yeah, and lose their focus. Yeah. Um, with that said, though, I would also say, I don't think we fully understand this emotion thing yet. No, kind of in our industry, yeah. I, mean, I think the, yeah. there's a lot that other industries have or other disciplines have been. Have been or have done. I mean, for years and years and years, that we should be looking to to kind of get our minds around this a little bit more. Like, I think I look at advertising agencies and like they get emotion in a way that I think a lot of you know user experience folks, myself included, sort of don't yet. And and that's not to say we should all become you know ad people building marcom sites, but I feel like there are there are um, other sort of peer disciplines that we can be looking at to try to start to understand ways in which. You know, emotion is created and communicated and, and sort of built up in, in our service lives. Well, Leah, I thank you so much for taking time to join me today. It was on a Fox pleasure. This podcast. Thank and, you. Uh, I know that uh, I've talked to a lot of other people, independents and smaller companies around the world, that uh, really got a lot of value out of your talk at the iSummit, and I have no doubt that they're going to get a lot of value from this as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, I really Thanks. appreciate it. Bye.